My fellow plebs, River is setting a new standard in Bitcoin. At river.com, you'll pay zero fees when you dollar cost average. Truly the best way to build your Bitcoin wallet. All Bitcoin at River is held in secure cold storage with 100% full reserves. There's no need to wonder what's happening behind the scenes. Your Bitcoin is your Bitcoin to withdraw at any time. Additionally, River lets you make Bitcoin payments via the Lightning Network, offers a Lightning integration for developers, and allows you to mine Bitcoin directly to your River account. River has a level of service that is unheard of in this industry, including phone support, private client advisors, and the ability to designate beneficiaries to inherit your Bitcoin wealth. River has become the premium name in Bitcoin that anyone can easily access. Sure, you have a place to buy Bitcoin, but have you tried River? See and feel the difference at river.com and the River iOS app, the preferred partner of Bitcoin Magazine. My fellow plebs, today's podcast is also brought to you by Moon Mortgage. As the world moves increasingly towards the mainstream adoption of Bitcoin and other digital assets, Moon Mortgage makes it possible to materialize your assets into real estate. Through the collateralization of mortgages with Bitcoin and other digital assets, Moon Mortgage will be launching lending solutions to allow investors to easily leverage their assets to purchase investments in owner-occupied property. Moon Mortgage's crypto mortgage will be launching soon for home buyers in Texas, Florida, and Colorado, and will also be open to investors in most states across the U.S. for investment properties. Welcome to the future of mortgages. Visit moonmortgage.com today to register and learn more. Moon Mortgage Residential is registered with the NMLS under number 235334. Welcome to Cosmic Bitcoin. I'll start off with a little bit of an introduction for the show. I'm CK, co-host is Spencer, and every single Wednesday, 3 o'clock Pacific, 6 o'clock Eastern, we come together and we talk to some of the most cosmic thinkers, some of the most big brain visionaries in the space, and we try to talk about the less talked about elements of Bitcoin you know, we don't really focus necessarily on the monetary policy or the hash rate or anything like that, but we can. But we, we try to think big onto like the, the bigger ideas, the, the more wide ranging implications of the technology. So this week, you know, obviously graced by one of the most cosmic thinkers, John Vallis. I'm a huge fan of the show, Rapid Fire Bitcoin. And, uh, you know, you get very cosmic often. And, you know, part of a lot of the writing that you do is very cosmic and very out there and kind of talking about some of the more deep implications of Bitcoin. So really excited to have you on the show. Of course, this show is made possible by the Bitcoin conference. So I believe John's hosted as an MC for two of the, the previous Bitcoin conferences. This year is going to be May 18th and through the 20th in Miami Beach, Florida. And it is really stacking up to be an amazing show. The team has been creating incredible videos highlighting some of our speakers that we have been announcing. And next week, we are going to be dropping some huge announcements as well as ticket prices going up next Friday. So make sure to go get your tickets. Use promo code COSMIC to save 10%. Come see all of Bitcoin Twitter and now Noster, you know, coming together in the flesh in person. It's an incredible experience. So highly recommend 10 out of 10 would recommend, but that is enough of me. John, 
I'll give you the mic to say what's up, and then Spencer can kick us off with with the show intro and first question. Sure. Well, I just, you know, I love chatting with you guys as always, and it's great to be here, and I'm looking forward to the discussion. So let's do it. Awesome. Sounds good. Yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to this on a personal level. I'll just say, John, your podcast, the Bitcoin Rapid Fire podcast, has been an awesome listen for me across many hours. Always really insightful, earnest, probing things that I think a lot of people could be well served to ask themselves and, and to really, you know, evaluate much more than number go up, but really to understand like the higher order implications of what this technology can mean for humanity. And I think you do a really great job of tying it into kind of like the cultural processes that might you know emanate from. But real briefly, I just want to kind of bring people's attention to this long form essay you wrote titled Money Messiah. God, Bitcoin, and the evolution of consciousness. We have that pinned up in the nest. I mean, it's it's an absolute deep dive down the rabbit hole. And you touch upon a lot of Jordan Peterson's work in Maps of Meaning. But you also touch upon ideas from Carl Jung that have also clearly influenced Peterson. But before we get into kind of more of the specifics of your work and some of your ideas around Bitcoin and meaning, I really just wanted to give our audience a bit more of your background. And obviously, you know, you're someone who's very into Bitcoin. You're very into ideas around religion, understanding of consciousness. But it also seems like you're someone who really enjoys engaging in the world. I know you've done a lot of travel, especially to places like Asia, South and Central America. And so I would just be, first of all, curious, like how you see the role of travel and engaging in culture and, and what that means to you in your life. It seems like that's played a pretty pivotal role in kind of expanding your understanding of the world. Yeah, sure. First of all, thank you for the kind words. It makes me happy to hear that people are enjoying the discussions. But, you know, the, the I guess the short version is something like, you know, who knows what kind of instigates that curiosity that I presume a lot of us in Bitcoin have maybe an above average measure as we're kids. And then, you know, that just kind of ends up bleeding or directing you into, you know, so many different areas. And so that curiosity travel was one of the things that it led me to doing, you know, I was fortunate enough to have, you know, done some travel with my family at a very young age. And I guess that planted somewhat of a seed. And, you know, I, I just wanted to, I, you know, I, it's super cliche and, and stupid, but you know, the, a real hunger for knowledge, like, I want to know what's going on. And I want to know what's happening in different places and what different people are thinking. And, you know, you're trying to, as, especially as a young person, you're trying to piece together, like, what the fuck is going on? What is this world that you've been <laughs> spat out into, you know? And so uh, as I got older and I was more, I could direct my travel experiences, I guess, more individually, or I had more autonomy there. I wanted to, you know, go to the places where amazing stuff had happened, you know, whether that's, you know, visiting the Egyptian culture and, you know, going to the pyramids and down the Nile and to all the different, you know, amazing places there or Machu Picchu, or Everest, or, you know, like all the places that were of note. And then I also wanted to check out like the more mysterious stuff, like, you know, like any person, the mysterious stuff is mysterious for a reason, right? Because you, it makes you, your mind go like, what the fuck is that about them? And why are they doing that there? And how did this, you know, tradition or practice or whatever it might be, you know, emerge? And, and why did it, why was it maintained? And why has it been so consistent? And you know, so you alluded to the, I think you alluded to the psychedelics earlier, you know, I was, I became super interested in that domain in, you know, the early 2000s. And in 2008, I, I went to the Amazon for the first time. Ostens it was, you know, I, I intended to kind of immerse myself in the ayahuasca culture and go into the Amazon and live with a, a shaman, basically, and, you know, figure out what that was all about. It kind of, I did, I did that part of the time. And then I was like, the jungle 
kind of sucks. And so I, I backpacked and probably partied a little too much the other part of the time. And so on that trip, I ended up visiting pretty much everywhere in South America other than Brazil and some of the northeastern smaller countries. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, the, the, the curiosity, I guess, is the, the common thread that's characterized a lot of the stuff that I end up pursuing. And it's interesting, you know, I hadn't ever really reflected on it this way until another interview recently. But people ask me, like, you know, what was the beginning of the Bitcoin rabbit hole? And it always went something like, well, I was a gold bug and a critic of the monetary system. And, you know, after a few passes on Bitcoin, it kind of clicked and then you start going down the rabbit hole. And it's a very common story. But I think for me, it was as a result of this curiosity, I was interested in weed at a young age, you know, like when I was 12 or 13, I had two older sisters and they had guys and, you know, parties at the house. And so I was exposed to that stuff earlier. Um, and, you know, and I had a, <laughs> there was one kid in my school who was like the quintessential, like dazed and confused sort of kid, sort of guy. And like his parents were hippies and potheads and he was a pothead. And, you know, I, I was drawn to him. Not that I was like that. I was always kind of like, fairly like put together for lack of a better term like I would my homework would always be done I'd always get my workouts done I you know was eating well from a young age all that stuff but you know just drawn to the the people that were kind of contrarian or different and I, I was drawn to him and so I had I you know smoked my first joint with him and that opened up a whole new area of inquiry you know it's a why and and not only that but I, I think it inculcated in me like a early on a pretty healthy distrust for either authority or the status quo, because, you know, you hear about this thing and it's a drug and drugs are bad and stay away from them and, you know, reefer madness and all that. And my experience was completely different than that. And so, it, you know, it makes you wonder, like, well, why is what I'm told so different from what my experience was? And anyways, the reason why that's relevant for Bitcoin is because that made me follow kind of people in the weed culture. And one of them was Mark Emery, the so-called Prince of Pot. And he was a famous like marijuana figure in Canada. And he had an international seed selling business and the U.S. government wanted to extradite him from Canada. He was like number five on the most wanted list to put him in jail for selling cannabis seeds to the U.S. And when he was like on doing a YouTube video kind of fighting the extradition and he was actually extradited after all. And I think he serves five or seven or something like that years. He was wearing a Ron Paul T-shirt. And so, you know, I was like, oh, why is he wearing this T-shirt? Who's this Ron Paul person? And that's where I got my first exposure to all the stuff that Ron Paul talks about, you know, the Fed and the monetary system and the corruption generally. And so that, you know, and that led into the gold bug stuff and into Bitcoin later on. So, yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure if that answers your question, but it's just succinctly as far as it goes with travel. I mean, it's I think it's important to realize that there's not that much that, you know, there's not much difference between us all. You know, everyone's looking for safety and security and love and friendship and, you know, laughter and family you know, it's, we share all that. And, and if you don't go out and see that, then you might be convinced, depending on where you live and what the, the media or the propaganda is like, that that's not the world. You might be convinced that it's you versus them or there's scary, mean people out there en masse or something. And traveling just kind of demystifies all that for you. And then, you know, it, gets, it allows you to see how many beautiful cultures and people and the wonder of the world, you know, it's such a, it's such a mysterious, wonderful, amazing, chaotic place. And travel just allows you to, to get out and see some of that and have it upgrade your perspective as a result. Yeah. Thanks for, for sharing that. That was a really good background into a wide range of topics there. And something that kind of caught my eye is that it sounds like from a, a younger age, you were 
you mentioned you were distrustful of authority or perhaps disillusioned once you saw maybe, you know, peripheral motivations that were, you know, making certain drug policy or just types of social control that maybe were not all they were cracked up to be. And I think that's something that a lot of Bitcoiners have is this willingness to question authority. But it also seems like there's this idea that Bitcoin can also like amplify that tendency a little bit. Like it, once you have this tool, you have this ownership and sovereignty over you know, your ability to communicate value, it kind of makes you maybe have a bit more of a penchant for doing that in the world. It kind of allows that heterodoxy to take root a bit more deeply. I and mean, that's that's something I think a lot about. And in, in that vein, it, it seems like there's also a connection between, you know, you've talked about like kind of traditional or religious traditions that have existed throughout history. These have like deep Lindy effects or they've been around for a long time mm-hmm. and they're kind of deeply ingrained in our culture. Then there's also this side of the coin where Bitcoiners are willing to question kind of these these dogmas that exist out there. And so to me, it seems like there's this interesting confluence of both traditionalism and then this form of like liberal or progressive thought that are kind of coming together in this like odd menagerie in the Bitcoin sphere. And and just relating this to like, you know, society and politics more broadly, like, do you see that as being the case? And like, I guess the point I'm trying to make is, do you see Bitcoin as being something that can bring people together in political and socioeconomic discussion because it does kind of combine these, you know, traditional or Lindy effects with this kind of newly arising method of of inquiry that is kind of falling down the Bitcoin rabbit hole. I would just be curious to hear your thoughts on like a societal level. Like what, what role do you see this as being in this like common value system as, as serving in society? Yeah, well, it's an, it's an interesting question. And it's funny because I, you know, the, the short answer is yes, I think Bitcoin has been, and will continue to be incredibly unifying in a sense. But the surface level, you know, people watching from the outside might see, you know, the the way in which discourse happens here or some of the so-called toxicity. And they may think, you know, that it's it's the opposite of that. But I, you know, what comes to mind when you ask that question is I, I feel like Bitcoiners and people that are curious generally, I mean, maybe a big part of that curiosity is simply like a, some sort of innate drive for truth. And it, it makes sense, right? Because what, what is truth, but trying to discern like what most fundamentally is. And that's important because if you're a, or as you are an individual looking to move through the world, whether it's the natural world or the, you know, the human constructed cultural world or digital worlds, even understanding what the most fundamental parameters of those domains are, is very advantageous, let's say, adaptively ad- advantageous to moving through it toward the thing that you most value or toward the thing that's most meaningful or toward the thing that you most want effectively, right? And so I, and so that kind of, that innate drive for truth, I think that's where that comes from because there's, a, you know, there's an evolutionary or perhaps more metaphysical sort of understanding that that's how you cohere the best with your environment in order to pursue that which is most valuable or meaningful. And I do, you know, I think Bitcoiners by and large, both as you say, you know, naturally, but also as a result of being emboldened by the emergence of Bitcoin and beginning to understand Bitcoin and beginning to adopt it and engage it in their own life, that that search has been emboldened. And they feel like, and not only because, you know, everyone's much more of a sovereign individual and the wealth can't be taken from them and, you know, that whole shtick. But I think the, 
the attempt to understand Bitcoin, you know, we, we under, understand everything in relation to other things, right? And the attempt to understand Bitcoin leads you, I mean, that's why we call it a rabbit hole, because it's like, okay, well, I'll investigate the economic realm, see what, you know, what pops up in my mind as a result of that investigation. Oh, interesting. Okay. I have a better grasp or context for it now. I can place it better. All right. Well, what about in the social domain? Seems to be having an impact there. Okay. You go down that rabbit hole and you try to place it. Oh, what about in the, the personal, the individual domain? What about, you know, the metaphysical or the religious or the philosophical? What about in the, you know, and you keep doing that. And that's just, it's kind of like a mind expanding process because you just, you keep reaching, you keep reaching out into the world and you're, you're every, all of us, it seems to be, are, are just looking for areas that of, of knowledge or insight or wisdom or information generally that will help us contextualize this thing and understand it. And, you know, I, I think there's a, a type of faith there, which is we believe that the more we understand it, the more we'll be able to invite its, you know, its generative effects or the good that it represents or its capacity for enabling us to experience good will, will it allow us to bring more of that into our lives. And so that's why we continue on that journey. Because, like, you know, you could ask the question, why do we do it? Like, okay. Get your 12 words, buy Bitcoin, lock it away. Bob's your uncle. You don't have to worry about it again. But that's not really the case for a lot of people. It's, it's, it's something, it seems like it's something altogether novel. And it's requiring this like just relentless search of all the, you know, the intellectual space of human history. It, it, it's, it sometimes seems to try to find the right perspective, the right context, the right way to look at this thing. And there's no real right answer there. Of course, you know, everyone has their own interests. Mine, you know, I kind of often say that, you know, things are only interesting to us to, to the extent that they introduce something novel and usually something novel in terms of either prohibiting or permitting novel behaviors or actions that we can take. And so, you know, all the, the economic and the monetary stuff, I mean, it's a part of it and it's interesting, but I find what's much more interesting is like, how is this thing, impacting people's behavior how is it impacting their perspective that that later on turns into behavior and you know and once you you track that down enough like you wind up just i meant to say this at the beginning but you know i i don't attempt to be so-called cosmic in any way right this is just i think where all of us wind up because we keep trying to trace like where is the most fundamental understanding of this thing or what is the, the proper perspective or orientation to take to it and it seems to be you keep peeling back the onion and you you you, you bump up against these fundamental notions of like well what is truth and what is value and what is meaning and what is freedom and why are they why are they so consistently elevated throughout the course of human history why are they so consistently fought for and then you know again that's that's not even the end of, of that pursuit you could say like uh, like a, on a religious or metaphysical basis, like how do those, those concepts, why do they have such a strong, why are they, why do they have such a strong orienting influence on how consciousness functions? You know, why are they so appealing to, to consciousness? Even if you're not taught them, like you, you, you could observe people in any domain and you could see these things emerging as being like fundamentally important. And, you know, I think the religion, so all these domains, but, as you alluded to the religious domain that I have been delving into recently. I mean, we, I think we live in an era broadly speaking, at least 
let's say in this, well, in the secular West, by definition, that's kind of a lot of people have taken a well, discarded religion, let's put it, you know, to put it simply. And I certainly was in that demographic or cohort earlier in my life. It just seems silly, right? Like a bunch of superstitious nonsense that, you know, we've moved past that now, the enlightenment and we're, we're modern people and we don't need it. And there's, I would readily admit there's certain things about religious institutions that I think have run their course and are at a minimum in need of upgrading. But I've been, you know, really satisfied with the investigation and Peterson has been very helpful in helping to me, helping me to understand this in a different way and what seems to be a more truthful way. And again, what, what those, what the wisdom and the philosophy and everything contained in that, those traditions can actually tell us, or at least help us generate more of those questions that we use to understand what Bitcoin is as crazy as that sounds. My fellow plebs, Come celebrate Bitcoin winter in Miami at Bitcoin 2023. The largest Bitcoin conference in the world returns to Miami from Miami 18th to the 20th. Head on over to b.tc forward slash conference to get your tickets today. Use promo code BMLIVE to get 10% off your tickets before prices go up. Plebs, if you're like me and want to gain a deeper understanding of what's going on within the Bitcoin market and broader macro environment, then you need to subscribe to Bitcoin Magazine Pro today. There's a free and a paid version of this daily newsletter where our market analysts Dylan LeClaire, Dr. Jeff Ross, and Sam Rule break down what's going on in the market so you don't have to. Subscribe today at BitcoinMagazinePro.com. John, you know, I grew up personally in in like a Christian Orthodox tradition. That's what I was brought up with. So I've, you know, had a decent amount of educating in it, even though even to today, I would say I'm pretty secular and don't necessarily practice anything, you know, by the book per se. But I've also like kind of had my own like mind blowing connections from, let's just say what Orthodoxy preached, and then, you know, kind of certain mechanisms within Bitcoin, you know, maybe that's more direct, but I'm curious, like, why do you find invest? Like, I guess, first of all, like, why is religion in general, do you find it useful or potentially useful? And why? And then, you know, why do you find it helpful to look into Bitcoin, or maybe what Bitcoin will do to people or society? Yeah, I think, well, one thing that jumps out when you start to speak to a lot of Bitcoiners or observe how people behave. It's like Bitcoin has become like the central thing of concern in a lot of people's life, you know, and a lot of the language and a lot of the behavior ends up looking like it, it takes on like a quasi religious sort of look, you know? And again, this has been noticed by a lot of people and, you know, people decry that or use that as a pejorative against Bitcoiners. Like you're in some sort of cult or, you know, you're in a religion or something like that. But you, you look at how people, because I think broadly speaking, you know, and, and the, the religious people won't like this characterization because most of them, most of them believe that, you know, the one that they ascribe to has some form of monopoly claim on the truth. And in a sense, I almost agree with that in that the truth that those traditions have been attempting to gain more, ever greater clarity on is probably, you know, there may be an absolute truth like that where where i would disagree is that simply noticing the differences in how that truth is contextualized in different places and times and cultures and how it's communicated and 
making the mistake in my my opinion of believing that they're talking about something different but in, in any case the, the the more interesting thing is i religion seems to be the enterprise of understanding what reality is what are its most fundamental parameters and as a result of that how best to engage it what should you pursue I and mean, this goes back to that idea of truth before like both what it you know truth is is useful because it allows you to understand the parameters of the domain that you're acting within and that's obviously good but it also helps to inform you about what you ought to be pursuing and i think we all encounter that you know at some point or many points or all you know or all the time in our life we're always kind of wondering should i be doing this is this the right thing to be doing and you weigh all the different variables and it's a tough question. And I think it's one that secular culture is probably at the moment somewhat suffering from having discarded, having not placed sufficient emphasis on the notion that there may be like a, a proper orientation in life and something, you know, there may be a, a, a thing that is most validly pursued. And I look at Bitcoiners and Look at look at look at us. You know, <laughs> look at all of us. You know, probably most of us listening to this, and I'm sure you guys. You know, this thing has entered our consciousness, and by virtue of us attempting to understand it and its implications, it's become so meaningful that it consumes so much of our headspace, consumes so much of our life. We devote ourselves to it. You know, and again, like that's religious language right there, or at least you could construe it that way. You know, we're we're devoted to Bitcoin. You know, in a sense, we, we worship it almost. And there's a, we have a faith that, you know, if we continue to do that, like I alluded to earlier, we bring it more into our life, it will be redemptive in a certain way. It will generate the, the type of life that we, you know, are zeroing in, zeroing in on as probably being the most valuable, the most, you know, the most worthwhile life to pursue. And as a, you know, as a part of the process, we're meeting all these other people that are doing the same. And we're finding that it's, well, as it's been said, it's, it's kind of like a shelling point for values, you know, like we, you meet Bitcoiners and you know, automatically, or at least you find out very soon after you meet each other that like you prob probably line up on a lot of the most important stuff. And then, you know, the other stuff, the stuff that's, you know, vestiges of the places and times that we grew up and, you know, all that kind of stuff end up becoming, and this goes to Spencer's, I think, question earlier, become, instead of becoming contentious differences, they become unifying unifying differences you know they, they become interesting and i think that's that's part of the point and that's part of the beauty of having alignment on the most important things so on the rather trivial things you they're they're fascinating instead of divisive and so i mean and th these sort of questions and this sort of thinking is like very much at the reaches of of, of what we're capable of at least that's been my experience i mean it, I'm writing a book right now about all this stuff. And so for one, that's probably why a lot of this is coming out kind of jumbled because my brain is somewhat fried from just going over material and, and trying to make some sense of it. But, you know, religion and philosophy and mystical experiences and the psychedelic realm and all that kind of stuff. I mean, very much just at the reaches of our collective historical attempts to at, to figure out like where what is all this about and how should we best engage it like how how should we engage it for the most meaningful the more the most joy-filled i mean even figuring out 
that the fill in the blank there like what is it we should be striving most for and again peterson talks about this a lot right is it happiness is it responsibility is it meaning is it joy is it union is it you know whatever those those domains have been you know putting the best minds to work for millennia to try to get some clarity on that and i guess my assertion is that like i think there's been a lot of good work there and you know for well there's been a lot of good work there and i think what Bitcoin represents is something that just greatly amplifies, or even, I mean, the, the premise of Money Messiah is that it, it makes real some of the things that were heretofore only conceptual, you know, whether it's, again, no, no, don't mean to offend anyone, but whether it's the idea of the Messiah or the, like the central cultural hero of various faiths, or whether it's that idea of the philosopher's stone, like, we're on the fringes asking the question, like, does this thing represent that, those things insofar as they've been described or articulated or, or, or put forward in the past? And I think many of us that try to basically compare notes, like what did those people in the past say about these things and what does our understanding of Bitcoin represent? Like, do those things line up? And, you know, I'm, I'm one of the crazy people that has to, put their neck out there, I guess, and say, I mean, it's seeming kind of like it, but you don't want to make that assertion without some really good logic and rationale, which is why, at least from my perspective, and I know from other people I respect in the space, I mean, they're doing that. They're, they're not just putting forward crazy ideas so that they can be slapped down by, you know, easily by some critic. It's like, let's really poke this thing. Let's really bring to bear the best logic and the best historical understanding that we that we can to this thing and let's see if it holds and again there's that underlying faith in the truth that like if we can better understand what this is we will probably be in a better position to maximize its benefits and that's that's what drives me because otherwise it's like well you know the world doesn't need another think boy right like who, who cares if you think something is super special or whatever that you know whatever but if 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 a greater clarity or understanding about a thing allows you to bring it more beneficially into your life, maximize whatever potential it has, then that's an incredibly worthwhile pursuit. And that's what I remind myself of when the writing gets painful. Yeah. And something that, that really caught my eye there when you were talking about that is this idea of like, you have a capital T truth versus like a lowercase T truth. And, and you could, I guess, dichotomize that as like, you know, an absolute understanding something or maybe like a, a processional understanding something or a moving towards greater certainty as to what you are dealing with at the end of the day. And I think that's one of the, for me, been the most gratifying parts about trying to understand Bitcoin and its implications. It feels like there, perhaps there is an end in sight, but it always seems kind of ephemeral. There, there's always this ongoing process of better understanding and refining my understanding of the world uh, in this way of rather than just accepting a certain decree or, or knowledge from above, but like it's kind of this emergent bottom-up process of understanding tech, the technology itself, but also my own values and, and all of these disparate fields. And to kind of tie this into some of your work and some of your, your passions, I know you and of course Peterson are really big fans and, and love to engage with the work of Carl Jung. And Carl Jung talks about this process of individuation. And it, it seems to me that that is essentially 
people understanding these kind of latent aspects of their consciousness through a process of understanding by going out into the world and experiencing it and kind of, you know, using trial and error, so to speak, rather than accepting things as true. They have to kind of exist in the world. And it seems like that's part of what the aim of individuals should be, is is to experience this type of individuation. And it seems like there is something at play here where Bitcoin allows individuals to freely express themselves, explore spaces of possibility. And, and I think that's ultimately a very healthy thing for how we relate to ourselves and one another. So I would just be uh, to kind of bring this over to like the Jungian side of things, is, is there anything there that catches your eye? And maybe if you could kind of give our audience a bit of an understanding of like some of Carl Jung's work, whether that relates to the conscious and the unconscious or, or maybe even archetypes, which I know you explore as well. Yeah, I'm, I'm probably not the best to do a deep dive on Jung with. I, you know, he's written a lot and, you know, with all this stuff, I mean, there's so much material out there. I mean, there's not, you could live 10 lifetimes and not read all the books that would allow you to, or that you presume would might have something of, of use to you in, in your attempt to understanding Bitcoin. And so, you know, I oscillate back and forth between, you know, trying to identify books that I think would be helpful and reading them and just being like, maybe you don't, you know, maybe you don't need that many additional resources. You know, you, as you, when you take a, a big like undertaking, like writing a book, he, I feel like sometimes it's a, almost a method of procrastinating, you know, like, oh, I just need to read another book about this and another book about that. It's like, maybe you don't, maybe it's all in there somewhere and you just need to believe that and sit down and, and figure it out. But in any case, my, the, the thing I'll say about Jung, or rather his, one of his students, Eric Neumann, who wrote The Origins and History of Consciousness, I actually find or found that book just a very concise, although dense, but I found it incredibly interesting kind of representation of a lot of Jung's work, you know, brought it a lot together. So you didn't have to read like 20 books, you could read one book. And to your point, I mean, one of the things he talks about is this kind of the stages of the ego, the stages that the ego goes through in a human being, you know, from kind of dependence on the mother and having a very, you know, a non-individuated identity, let's say. And then as you go through life, how that becomes more individuated and kind of the precarious nature of that process and where it can go off the rails. And, you know, he, he, he in addition to most, you know, philo uh, philosophers throughout the ages and religions kind of comes to this point where, you know, the idea is to be as integrated and an individual as possible right an individual minded individual <laughs> sorry like an independently minded individual who's capable of balancing the various forces that are play at it both internally and in society and you know i i think that's relevant to the bitcoin stuff because i think that's one of the things that it enables you know it allows people to be more self-owned than ever before more sovereign than ever before Right. Because, you know, money, as everyone listening, most likely has framed it this way before, like money is a literal emblem of your sacrifice, time and energy, you know, so it's, it's very much an extension of you. And to have it in a form where, you know, it's not diluted, where it's not leaky, where, you know, where it's ironclad, basically, it almost, you know, it should be no surprise that it causes one to feel 
more confident, more self-owned, more, more like a, an independent individual. And with that sense, you know, with that feeling, I think, I think people are more able to engage in the world in an optimized way. You know, one of the things that anxiety about the future is ever present, right? But all the more when, you know, your finances are not in order, you know, financial anxiety is a, a massive stressor for a lot of people. And to what degree does that, anxi- that anxiety cause you to engage the world on suboptimal terms, let's say, you know, maybe you're more agitated, maybe you're, you know, you're more angry, maybe you're more frustrated, maybe you take less chances, maybe you, you know, you're less enthusiastic, all those kind of things. And one, you know, I think Bitcoin reverses that. And because of the, the, the profound degree of, of confidence it gives to an individual about their accumulated, you know, financial or economic capacity, it allows those things that probably intervene or inject noise into our consciousness to be dialed down. That anxiety, that frustration, all that kind of stuff to be dialed down. And then as a, almost as a kicker, once you begin to understand, once you begin to see the role and influence of money on culture, on society, on economies, and begin to see how Bitcoin quite possibly may represent a dramatic improvement, if not a complete, you know, inversion of what we've had before. Not only do you dial down the noise and the frustration and, and all those deleterious, let's say, emerge, emergences in consciousness, <clears throat> but you're energized and you're invigorated with, because of the hope that you now see on the horizon. Because you, you know, I've often I've characterized this before as one of the reasons when I was learning all about, you know, kind of how the world works, and I'm, I'm not making a claim that I know how the world works, but, you know, you do your best to piece it together. And I felt really down at that time. I was probably in my early 20s, and I'm not a, a very emotional person. I'm, I'm pretty even keel, but, you know, I was just like, man, the world is so fucked up. There's so many things wrong, and I really don't see how it can get turned around. And, you know, so I became a gold bug because that's what you do when you think Armageddon is coming. You know, you, you get some gold because hopefully someone will take it for bread or whatever, which is, you know, not a very hopeful or, you know, not a very, not a great way to engage the world, let's say. And then Bitcoin comes along, and again, it, it, it energizes you. Like, things can be better. And not only that, but it seems like, the, the manner in which Bitcoin will change society, let's say, seems to be far more coherent with those ideals or values that you might have held as a so-called naive, you know, young person, naive kid. And then you have to grow up and realize that the world is a horrible and dark place. But it seems like y- you can see how this thing will actually elevate and incentivize and reward those things that I think we probably all agree are you know, good values and principles. And so I, I just think it's it's fascinating that, again, this process that Jung talks about and Neumann talks about, about this process of, you know, you could also characterize it as saying being more in, aware and in control of your so-called ego. Bitcoin allows for both the maximum individuation, but also creates the parameters or the rails for the maximum beneficial interaction between people. And, you know, it's almost like, well, what could, what more could you ask for? And so it, it, I think we all agree. It seems like those circumstances and of course many more are going to facilitate 
you know, fingers crossed, quite a dramatic change in how we see ourselves, what we pursue, and how we go about doing it with everyone else who we share, you know, the world with, basically. Yeah, I mean, you, you talked a bit about kind of perhaps a, a return to less of a nihilistic understanding of the world, perhaps naive, naivety, but this idea of like kind of returning to being a child and being, I guess, joyful in the world, perhaps not beaten down by all of these, you know, massive negative problems that we have at scale in society. And I think that really also ties in nicely to some of Peterson's work. I know he talks about Jean Piaget and Piaget had an understanding of different types of games that children play together. And, and he makes the argument that the most optimal games are those that people would voluntarily play. And it also seems that the most optimal games would be those that can continue perhaps into perpetuity. And I think that's one of the things that Bitcoin represents is it's a game that we can play ostensibly forever. Yeah. We don't have this kind of self-terminating system that, that is, you know, the fiat landscape where the game will end. People wouldn't necessarily opt into it if they didn't have to. Right. And instead, we have this voluntary, you know, evolving game in time that, that really has no end in sight. And I think that's feeling like there is somewhere to go is such an important feeling as an individual, like not feeling trapped by a system. And Absolutely. I think for me, that's given me a, lo a lot of hope there. Yeah, 100%. And the, the only thing I'd add is the, the fairness element. I mean, again, so many of these things work both consciously, like we might be aware of some of them and subconsciously. But as you say, I mean, if the world, if society is just a big game... <clears throat> What, what kind of response does it elicit from, you know, potential participants or participants, because everyone kind of has to play it, if, as you say, it, it seems like there's an end date to it, like this game can't go on in perpetuity, you didn't really choose it, you were forced to choose it, and in fact, you can't really get out of it, you know, you're forced to stay in it, and it's unfair. What sort of, what sort of feelings would that inculcate in people again mostly subconsciously i mean that's why i think this this conversation would would land flat with a, a lot of so-called normies out in the world today which are just out there just kind of subject to the, the the incentives and the signals that that type of game is imbuing in them and they're just responding kind of in kind as you would you know with the with a commensurate amount of nihilism or despair or aggravation or frustration or you know a dishonesty you know ev everyone obviously approaches an unfair chaotic game like that differently you know some will be beaten down by it others will say well fuck it if you know if it's all unfair and cheap let's just lie cheat and steal no matter what and the confluence of all those different approaches to it, it well it, it results in what we have today and so i i totally agree i mean once you change those fundamental parameters of the game that we're all participating in to be more fair, to be reliably continuous, let's say, and to be predicated on identifiable values and principles that I think, again, this part is not contentious. I think most people would deem good truth and fairness and honesty. You know, these things are, there's not that much argue about them and their argument about them. And the fact that they are so blatantly inculcated in the, are so blatantly built into the protocol, the system, you know, the, the foundation of this game that we're all playing, I think that greatly influences and energizes and incentivizes those very values and principles in the people that are playing the game, i.e. all of us. And so, yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And of course, it's very exciting that we may be on the cusp of something like that. And I would say, I think it, it's initial representations in 
the so-called Bitcoin community are very encouraging. And I think that's what we see. We see the elevation of those values and principles. We see the type of mentality that results when people begin to understand that a new game is, is available, right? And we see how that energizes people and how that changes their perspective and how that changes their ambition, what they want to be in life, what they want to achieve in life, all those things. And it's great. And that's why, you know, we love going to those conferences because we get to mix it up with all those people in the flesh. And we realize like, wow, this is really something unique that's happening. And, you know, you, you never stop questioning it, right? We, we don't want to, we don't be blind about anything. I mean, at the end of the day, I think one of the, the more fundamental underwriting or underlying aims here that I, we, we touched on before is the pursuit of truth, you know? So we don't want to delude ourselves into something far from it. We, we want to, you know, almost walk that tightrope tightrope of, you know, pursuing truth, but allowing what we find to influence us, you know, in a, in a reasonable way or in the way that those things should, and then not, you know, not be, not be pulled too far into that enthusiasm, into a kind of mania, but kind of keep, just keep challenging ourselves as we go along. But when we, re, you know, the good that we reveal as we go, we should engage that. We should bring it into our lives. We should amplify it. And I see that, it seems to me that's what's happening amongst, you know, the people that hang around the mid to lower depths of the rabbit hole. I mean, if you want to find those people, it's definitely at Bitcoin meetups, at the Bitcoin conference, at all the, these events across the world. You know, people are saying that the top of the Bitcoin like conference market has, has kind of come in and that the conference game is a bubble. But I don't think so. I think it's just going to continue to expand. And, you know, there's just this hunger amongst Bitcoiners to come together, even when there's like max fear in 2020 and things like that. Can you talk a little bit more about like, you know, why meeting other people who are kind of tuned to like a Bitcoin operating system, why that's so special? Yeah, well, I think one of the reason why it's so, reasons why it's so special, and I'm sure this resonates with everyone, is because there's so few other people in our lives who, who are running that operating system. And it's just refreshing. You know, you, you, you don't have to wonder too much what the other person is thinking or, you know, what what you line up on, you kind of know that you line up on a ton of stuff. And then that just opens the door wide open to build, you know, really strong relationships, really trusting relationships and to, to engage, you know, whether it's engage as partners in an entrepreneurial venture, whether it's to engage, you know, in, in great deep conversations, there's just, there's such a, there's a mutual respect and there's also a mutual aim. And there's also a, a tremendous mutual hum humility. It's like, we don't really know what the fuck this thing is right? Like nobody does. And I don't think anybody makes that claim. And so we're all kind of, that's another thing that allows people to interact, fosters, you know, good, sincere, productive interactions is humility. You know, we're all kind of humbled by this thing. And so we're, we're brought together and by it. And that humility is kind of like a, a common thread running behind it all. So there's, there's a willingness to listen to people and to to have those conversations and to meet those people. But of course, like, as you said, it, it's also because I think a lot of us feel like, in, you know, maybe it's a recent phenomenon or maybe we've been feeling like it our, a lot of our lives. Like we feel like we've, we're taking crazy pills, you know, for most of our life. Like the world just didn't seem to make that much sense, you know, and it seemed bizarre to a lot of us that, you know, why is everything so crazy? Why are people so crazy? Why is there such a lack of logic and reason and, 
empathy and all those things. And I mean, kudos to the people who felt like that and never kind of threw in the towel in, in believing that things were off and that they could be better. You know, and I, cause I had felt that way for a long time, as I said, and the kind of mantra, or at least the thing that I would remind myself of often was I'd rather be tormented by the truth than coddled by ignorance, you know, and that just kind of, I just, that helped me keep the, the flame alive and believe in like not turning into just someone who throws in the towel, you know, it becomes an NPC. And I kind of hate to use that term because everyone, most people are wonderful, you know, like when, if you can get past the differences, most people, like I said before, most people want the same things. It's just that, you know, the moniker of NPC is an easy thing for us to use today to kind of refer to the people that, that gobble up the, the status quo that don't see that there's that much wrong, that, that, that perhaps are not in, in full control of their perspective. Or at the, ver- at the very least, because you might say, well, who among us are in control of our own perspective? At the very least, they haven't taken it upon themselves the responsibility to construct their own perspective. You know, they've just adopted a default perspective. You know, you, you, you're born, you go through school, you go through university, you get your job. And it's like whatever perspective naturally the default perspective of going through life in whatever country you're from and the media you're exposed to and all that kind of stuff. There's just like, for so many people, there's a sense that that's valid. And I think a lot of us would say that is a false assumption. You should not assume that the perspective that you just end up arriving at by being born in a certain place and time is valid. You need to work to construct a valid perspective. And that's, that's the work that leads you, to travel, to learning, you know, reading old books, reading about different cultures, having different experiences, trying different things, succeeding, failing, all that kind of stuff. And then you can kind of triangulate it on a perspective that seems hopefully increasingly truthful. And again, I mean, when you talk about Bitcoiners meeting at a big, at a conference or a meetup or something, I mean, I think, I think that's what we're doing. We're all like, we've triangulated to a similar place and we're like, Oh, Hey shit, there's more of you or there's more of us. Like, that's awesome. Like, let's let's both challenge each other like let's see if that's legit let's help each other continue to refine those perspectives and let's do stuff together i mean if we really are kind of the first cohort to understand what's going on on such a monumental shift you know like you know an upgrade to the fundamental rails of society i.e the money then we ought to be thinking like how do you know, how can we work together to to do something cool here, to propagate this further, to to bring it to more people, to, to to make it what we think it can be, to help it actualize the potential that we might see for it, all that stuff. And so, you know, who who wouldn't want to sign up for that? The, I think the the critique that often gets levied is is not the enthusiasm; it's just whether we're right or not. You know, are we deluded or are we closer to the truth than than most? And I mean, we're all obviously making the bet that it's the latter. And I think we're taking um, we're taking the right approach to that because I, th- I think we do challenge each other every chance we get and we have those conversations and we test it in the market and all that kind of stuff. So I'm, I'm definitely on the side of that the, that the approach is, is correct, but it's not, it's not a given that it is. And so I just, you know, hopefully those, those people, those critics are wrong and, and 
even though it might be messy in the beginning and maybe it'll be messy forever because there's no end to this process of seeking truth and, and trying to bring more of what the truth is capable of generating into the world. I mean, that'll be going on forever. So for us, it's just a matter of getting the process right and the process of improving that. And I think it's great that we have more and more and more people that we get to do that with, i.e. more and more Bitcoiners. I mean, it's, you guys know, it's, it's, it's incredible hanging out with Bitcoiners. So yeah, I'm, I'm a fan. Likewise. And again, appreciate you coming on the show. It's been super interesting picking your brain on this stuff and, and a thread. I think that would be interesting for us to kind of tie things off with is a discussion of like psychedelic experience. So one thing you were talking about is people going through the motions. They find these habits and patterns, you know, you just kind of follow the track that's laid down in front of you. And, you know, whether that's, you know, go to college, get a job, have kids, retire, or, or just kind of like following this, like, kind of top down track that's laid before you is instead kind of forging your own path and exploring possibilities as being something deeply enriching. And in the context of psychedelics, there's this idea of the default mode network where you have, you know, your brain has these patterns that are kind of etched into its neural activity where it's used to operating within the world in a certain way. And maybe for a lot of people, that is a way that's not very deeply examined. People don't necessarily take the time to evaluate and, and perhaps reconstruct a different perspective that might be more in tune with the world. And in the context of psychedelics, it's kind of dis disrupting that default mode, default mode network. And, and something I, I know you've talk, talked about before is ego death or, or this idea of kind of being able to identify with not just your own body, but all of the patterns that exist in the landscape in which you're in, embedded as well. I and mean, I think that's just such an interesting kind of rabbit hole there. And, and I know you also have talked about the idea of Bitcoin being like a psychedelic or being something that can help you manifest your mind into the world or manifest your vision into the world. That, that is the root of the, the word psychedelic. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I would, I would just love to hear your thoughts on kind of the parallels between those two and, and how, first of all, like what that psychedelic experience has, has meant to you as well. Sure. My first, well, my, my first experience, you know, I was just getting together with a few of my friends and we were making mushroom tea and I accidentally, you know, double dosed us or something. And we ended up, you know, we were looking for just a, you know, a giggle fest basically. And I was delivered an experience that, well, I hadn't previously thought was possible. And it was very, very challenging, you know, because I, I just was not ready for what the experience delivered to me. And so I, you know, I was outside by myself for like 45 minutes in, in spiritual agony, let's say, I just, you know, wanted to die. And then it, once it was over, you know, the, the, the experience that was delivered afterwards was like tremendously blissful. And I, you know, I'll, the disclaimer here that I'll say before I go on is, as anyone knows who's had these experiences, they, they're basically ineffable or they are ineffable. And, and so I always seem, I always feel silly trying to talk about them because words just don't do them justice. And also it's become so cliche to use some of these words and they've been, you know, represented in pop culture and stuff like that. And which is fine, but I think it de degrades the importance of, of the experience to some degree. But in any case, I came back in that night and just decided that that was a far too foreign experience that I didn't realize was possible. And so I had to dive down that rabbit hole. So I got on Amazon the next day and bought every book I could find on the subject. And then like a year or two later, I was down on the Amazon. And as you said, I mean, it, it, that experience helps you to 
relieves you from those well-worn pathways of your existing perspective for a period of time, right? And it allows you to see things from a different perspective. And you don't realize how powerful, powerful that is until it happens. You don't realize all the different things that go into generating your perspective. And then I would say ego death is that kind of the, the apex of that experience where all the things that you even, the identity that you use to make all of those associations that end up constructing your perspective, that disappears, you know? And so then it begs, you feel very naked, you know, it begs the question like it's, you can't even, there's nothing there to attach anything to. And so you end up kind of losing identity in that moment. And that's why it feels like death because it feels like the things that you formerly understood to be quote unquote you, right? Like your name or your, your family, your country, your experiences, your hockey, your sports team, whatever, all that is no longer relevant. All that is gone. And so it begs the question, like what remains, you know, and I don't know if there's a legitimate answer to that. You know, you, you might call it pure awareness, loving awareness, pure energy, pure consciousness, union with the, the, you know, the consciousness of the universe, something like that, who knows, but And there's been some discussion on this in in the Bitcoin space in the last little while. The ego death experience is not a permanent thing. You know, it's, again, it's relieving yourself of the the perspective that you typically have for a period of time. And then afterwards, you re-inhabit that perspective. But you do so with a better understanding of what it is. Right, you, you you come to appreciate that your your perspective and the identity that you form as, formerly attached to that. There's a space in between that and an awareness that you have access to, and so it, you know it allows you to not take take things as seriously, as just as kind of a trivial outcome of that, because you realize like oh, like I'm not I'm not those thoughts or things that I thought I was. Those are thoughts and things that I have. Those are the associations that I I, I, have, I have made predicated on my experiences or whatever but they they needn't be most fundamentally who i am or they're or rather they're not most fundamentally who i am and i'll share a, a quick anecdote because i think it's a great way of conceptualizing this but john verveke who's a neuroscientist at the university of toronto he's been doing a lot of talks with peterson lately too but i spoke to him about a year ago i think on the podcast and we were talking about this experience and what to make of it and my question to him was like, how do you determine? So you, you, you kind of, you touch the Godhead, right? Or you, you, you experience ego death or whatever we want to define that experience. And then you come down, like, how should you use that experience to inform so-called right action? You know, how should you use it to inform who you should be, who you should be striving to be, what you should be doing, you know, how you should spend your time and your resources. And I don't know if there's a right answer to that, right? Because that's, that's the age-old question we were alluding to before. It's like, what is this world and what should we be doing with it? And who should we be in it? But he was saying that, you know, because I, I said to him, one of the things that I think is useful with, after having that, had that experience is that it, it provides sufficient space between, you know, your thoughts and your identity and something more fundamental about your awareness to move between them more smoothly, more capably, more intentionally. And so to use an extreme example, you might say like, 
the person that you are when you're confronted by four wolves in the forest by yourself and the person you are when you're on stage at a conference and the person you are when you're on the couch with your girl, right? They're all different. But I think what you want to do and what that space allows for is for you to determine the, the most optimal aspect of yourself to be in each one of those situations. Not to say, oh, I am really me there and not really me here. To say, given the situation, how do I bring to bear what I'm, what's, what's available to me to show up the best in that situation? So again, extreme example, but with the wolves, like you want to show up as a fucking savage monster, right? It's like, all right, well, here we go. It's you or me, Wolverine time. You know, like, can you, can you inhabit that sort of energy or that aspect of yourself in that time? And then the same is true for the stage and the same is true for your, let's say your partner. Anyways, so he, he kind of agreed that that's one of the benefits of having, having had that experience or having access that space and that it kind of, as you said, not only dis- disrupts that default mode network and shakes up your perspective and your you know, you know, normal habits and ways of thinking, but it gives you a greater sense of the ways in which you can engage different aspects of yourself based on the circumstance. And he said, and I, I'm sorry, this is long winded, but I said, it seems like that space is like where virtue, like all the virtues are in their maximal representation. You know, the apex of that experience, it seems like everything is perfect. And maybe in, in all the different circumstances you might encounter in life, one of the tricks is like, how do I bring those virtues from that place where they're most pristine, let's say, into this circumstance, right? And is that not the best way to engage life like bring bring those virtues to their fullest depending upon what the circumstance calls for and he agreed and he he said that this is i'm not sure if he said this is where we get the term or that this is a good term to apply to that i think it was the former but he said this is where we get the term virtuoso someone who's exceptional at many things right they're able to to call upon the appropriate virtue for the appropriate moment in its maximal expression through them something like that so anyways a a long way of of saying that the psychedelic experience and the pursuit of those understanding what that is has been you know a critical or a big part of my development for the last 20 years and to the you know the point about ego death is it's not that it goes away because you know you can't you know your ego is kind of what you use to be an individual person and, and move through life but it's about as we were saying before, more intentionally constructing that, you know, what, what do you want that to be recognizing that it's kind of a tool for moving through interpersonal space. And so, you know, after these experiences, people often go through a a period of integration, you know, whether that's conscious with other people or whether it's just, you know, the, the passage of time where you get to think about like what that was and the effect it had on you and how it's changing your mind and, and such. And then you, you can more consciously engage your ego, you know, in, we can just we can just i think refer or conceptualize the ego as like our our circumstantial or or situational avatar right like what would be the best avatar for a given circumstance and i think you know some some people might see that as being disingenuous but i don't i don't see it that way because i think it's actually bringing something that's most fundamental about you and most unique about you as much into whatever moment it's most appropriate for 
And so anyway, so that's been a, a, a big rabbit hole for me and used to be, I think it's and a, another one of those things that, cause, that causes you to think that you've been kind of misinformed, you know, because you're told that, you know, this is another drug that's bad. And then you have this experience and you think, how is this not on the front page of every newspaper tomorrow morning? Like, how is this experience available to human beings? And it's not central to our lives almost. And I don't mean to say that that's some, it's something that I do or one should do often. I mean, <clears throat> maximum, it's something I, I try to do once a year to kind of just get back in and clean out the cobwebs and, and investigate that space. But I just mean that it's, it's so spectacular. And again, I'm not talking about what you see and the, you know, there's a lot of hoopla around this experience, but you peel back all that stuff and just, it's a very meaningful experience. And the fact that it's been so derided and so, you know, swept under the rug as it were, was another thing that just made me think, okay, something, something is not right here. You know, like we're not being told the full story or even we're not, I don't like to blame, you know, the, the dark cabal and keeping everything from us and keeping us, you know, suppressed or whatever. I mean, I think a lot of that is our own doing, you know, we, we haven't, each of us as individuals hasn't taken it upon ourselves to, to have the courage, have the independence, have the tenacity to pursue our own understanding of things and pursue it regardless of what people tell us about it, you know, and what we should or shouldn't be doing. And I think that's where the, the kind of disagreeable nature of a lot of Bitcoiners serves us well. And that's probably why we ended up here. And then to the point about the connection between Bitcoin and psychedelics, I mean, I think you're right. And you could make a, a reasonable analogy in saying psychedelics, the, the term psyche and delos is mind manifesting. And, you know, money is something that obviously helps us manifest the contents of our mind out in the interpersonal physical world. But I also think another interesting parallel is the degree to which it's mind expanding you know as we, we were talking about earlier in an attempt to understand what bitcoin is you end up consulting all these different domains of knowledge and that is that is mind expanding in itself perhaps in a different way you know one your your mind is being expanded by consulting the compendium of existing you know literature or knowledge on a variety of subjects in the world and maybe the psychedelic one is expanding your mind in relation to the spiritual or the metaphysical, but all the more reason why I think they're, they're very commensurate pursuits because one is, is expanding your mind out into the world. And the other one is expanding your mind, you know, into the, the mist, yeah, I hate to use the term mystical, but into the, into the metaphysical realms, right? So one is in the physical and one is in the metaphysical. And as you said, I, I think, I think reality is probably constituted. I mean, I don't have anything to back this up. This is just my opinion. But I think reality is just a patterns within patterns within patterns. You, you know, you might characterize that as having a fractal sort of structure. And so I, I, I think that those two pursuits kind of allow you to get a little more clarity on two sets of patterns that are intertwined or interlocking on a certain level. And again, I, I think that's where the notion of being integrated comes from. Like when we say someone has integrity, of course, in normal day-to-day -day speaking, we mean it as like they're honest and, you know, forthright. But I think the more, I don't know, powerful definition is like 
and I think this is the pursuit of truth, right? The truth is what allows us to become most integrated with all the different patterns or forces that might be exerted on us, that we, that, that we exist within, that influence us in some way. And to be integrated on every possible level, I think just conveys a, a tremendous, one, strength, and that's where we get the idea of you know buildings having strong integrity. But I also think that integrity, that lining up of all the different aspects of life and consciousness that we're available that, that are available to us and that we exist within, the process of lining all those up as well as we can or as with as great a fidelity as we can is what conveys those feelings of joy and meaning and happiness and love i guess ultimately to to put a nice bow on it but i think that's the process of that's how you gain access to those things in their maximal possible in, in the best possible way to experience them let's say and then of course you become you become a vessel for their expression out into the world through you and i, I mean i, I kind of think this is the both the religious and the philosophical notions that have been you know, mentioned in, in all the literature throughout the ages is that process, is attempting to find that alignment with all those different forces and then be, you know, a vessel that transmutes them out into the world through your own actions. And in, in doing so, leading to the creation of a world that's imbued with those things, you know, and the sort of kingdom of God or, or idea. So, yeah. John, what what an amazing way to to close out the show. You know, you know, I really think that you have an amazing ability of really articulating these experiences in a way that is it, it makes it easier to kind of grasp the the magnitude and you know, I guess, you know, just to close it out, do you have any like resources or anything in particular around, you know, kind of this line of cosmic thinking, whether it's Bitcoin or or beyond that you'd like to, you know, point the listeners to? <clears throat> Not really, to be honest. I, nothing's coming to mind. I mean, I, I, I think it's more of an, a way of thinking about it. And for me, the most helpful, more so than all the books and even Maps of Meaning and all that stuff, is just observing, you know, how the changes are occurring in myself, you know, as a result of, pursuing Bitcoin or pursuing an understanding of psychedelics or, you know, the pursuit of truth broadly, but it's certainly been amplified and made more apparent when since Bitcoin has been injected into that. And then observing how it's affecting other people. Like, I think if we just tune ourselves to really, you know, it's super cliche self-help sort of thing, but to, to listen to ourselves, right, to tune in and, and see how it is we're changing and how it is we're behaving. And then to ask ourselves a question like, well, are we happy with that? Do, you know, do we want it to be some other way? Do we, how dedicated are we to trying to figure out, you know, an optimal way of, of thinking, of generating a perspective and then having those actions, you know, be expressed out in the world and then extending that same observation, but also a kind of expectation to our, our friends, you know, like my close friends in the space, that's what I do with them. We have these big, long conversations and we talk about what we're experiencing, what they're experiencing. We hold each other to, you know, a, a reasonably high standard, not of necessarily being anything, but like caring about engaging in this process. And I think that's probably more important than 
any particular resource that I, I could recommend. Amazing. Well, again, thank you so much for, for gracing us for 75 minutes here, answering our questions. Want to encourage everyone who's listening, go check out Rapid Fire Bitcoin. Go check out the podcast that you put out with CT and uh, even some of John's writings on his blog and on Bitcoin Magazine. A lot of good stuff out there, pretty much an endless pit of, of amazing content to dive into if you, if you have the excitement and the willingness to go deeper into what we talked about today. This is Cosmic Bitcoin. We do it here on Bitcoin Magazine Twitter every single Wednesday, 3 p.m. West Coast time, 6 p.m. East Coast. We're coming back next week with another amazing guest. And this show is brought to you by the ultimate Bitcoin show, Bitcoin 2023. And during this po this Twitter spaces, we announced the Bitcoin games, which is the ultimate competition at Bitcoin 2023 of local Bitcoin meetup groups, forming teams, competing in awesome challenges for the chance of getting one Bitcoin or a Bitcoin worth of support for their meetup. So check it out. It's part of the Bitcoin 2023 extravaganza. And I think it is a really awesome engagement for all of the local communities out there so check that out as well of course use promo code cosmic to save 10 percent when you purchase your ticket spencer any any last words before we close it out i mean honestly not much to add other than john i, I just really appreciate the openness you express when you're interacting with people i know you bring a lot of plebs onto your show and have deep meaningful conversations with them and i think that's just an honorable thing to do in that you're openly exploring questions that you may not have the answers to but you want to willingly engage with that. And I think it's just a really commendable thing. And it's been really inspirational for me in quote unquote, becoming my Bitcoin self or, or just having cultivating a sense of self-respect or, or inquiry as well. So I think you're, you're modeling some, some great behavior out there is just like putting yourself out there and being open to interacting with the world. So I really can't thank you enough. It's, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. I appreciate that very much, man. Like I said at the beginning, it makes me happy to hear that because, you know, you, you engage these topics and it's easy to think you're just a psychopath and you're, you know, you're way off the rails and you should just get back to being a normal person. But as again, like, you know, another reason why it's so great to have so many people engaging in these sorts of things and interested in them is, you know, kind of validates the pursuit. And it makes me really happy to know that people are getting value from it. So I appreciate that and appreciate the, the chat tonight. My fellow plebs, come celebrate Bitcoin winner in Miami at Bitcoin 2023. The largest Bitcoin conference in the world returns to Miami from Miami 18th to the 20th. Head on over to b.tc forward slash conference to get your tickets today. Use promo code BMLive to get 10% off your tickets before prices go up. Magazine time, y'all. Bitcoin is for everyone, lefties, righties, and the rejectors of the false dichotomy alike. And that is why the newest Bitcoin Magazine print edition is called the Orange Party Issue. It features articles by President Naib Bukele, Jeff Dice, Natalie Smolinski, Eric Kaysen, Max Kaiser, and Jimmy Song. Get your copy from the local Barnes & Noble bookstore or from the Bitcoin Magazine store at bitcoinmagazine.com and use promo code BMLIVE to get 10% off your annual subscription today. Plebs, if you're like me and want to gain a deeper understanding of what's going on within the Bitcoin market and broader macro environment, then you need to subscribe to Bitcoin Magazine Pro today. There's a free and a paid version of this daily newsletter where our market analysts Dylan LeClaire, Dr. Jeff Ross, and Sam Rule break down what's going on in the market so you don't have to. 
Subscribe today at bitcoinmagazinepro.com. <laughs>